Well, good morning. I got a text from Pastor Norflett this week that he was out in a conference in California and that prompted me to go online and to investigate, check out a couple of the sessions that were going on. And one of the speakers had a story that was so good, I just had to start with a story. When everyone on earth was dead, waiting to enter heaven, God appeared and said, I would like all the men to form two lines. One line is for the men who were the head of their households, and a second line for all the men who were dominated by their wives. And I want the women to report to St. Peter. Soon the women were gone, and there were two lines of men. The line of men who were dominated by their wives extended 100 miles deep. And in the line of men who were truly heads of the household, there was only one man. So God spoke to all the men in the long line and said, you guys, I told you that I created you to be the heads of the household. I taught you what to do. You didn't obey. You should have learned from this man. God then turned to the one single man and asked, how did you manage to be the only man in this line? And the man replied, my wife told me to stand here. I've been laughing about that all week. Hopefully you'll get a little bit more out of the message than just that. The passage that I've been asked to speak on today as we continue in 1 Peter is actually a fairly straightforward passage. There's just one don't do, there's three do this, and one conditional do. In fact, we can summarize the whole message in just six words. Think right, live right, love right. So we'll be asking the questions, how is your thinking, how is your living, and how is your loving? The problem is that as I've been mulling this over for the past couple months, there's been this nagging question that's just kept popping up, this realization in my heart, and it's been something like this. If I'm honest, I'm really quite content to be mostly right in my thinking. And as I look at the choices that I make on a day-to-day -day basis, I pretty much follow the way that I want to live myself. I don't really end up submitting a lot to the rules and regulations I don't like to follow, especially some of the driving regulations of the state of Michigan. <laughs> and if I'm even more honest, in many, if not most of my interactions with others, there's not a motivation, as we're going to learn about later, this call to have an earnest love from the heart for people. But most of the time, I'm more focused on my own convenience, comfort, or my own selfish desires. So since I've had such a miserable time the last six to eight weeks mulling over this, I thought I'd just vomit over the rest of you so you could be as miserable as me. I'm mostly, mostly kidding. Truthfully, though, as God's spotlight has been revealing parts of my life where I have routinely allowed myself to be less than pleasing to him, I've had to ask myself and the Lord a question. It's been a little hard to hear and process. And the question is simply this, why? Why am I so content to be so less than perfect? 
when we get to the part later in the passage about the deep love for others, there's just been a lot of gunk that's been revealed that's been hard to look at. A few weeks ago, we had the privilege to host a wedding celebration in our home. And as the evening went on, I was in the kitchen with one of my daughters and a person walked in who was fairly inebriated. And as I was observing, I just kind of, my heart was just kind of scoffing at the person. And I was in my mind fairly cordial. Well, a few days later, I thought that I had heard that one of my daughters was interested in pursuing a relationship with this individual. And maybe I overreacted a little, one might say. But for all the dads in the room, you can, I think, relate. The, the billy club you pull out, right? That's the one where you start banging on the table and say, you will not have this, and you got to be careful who you hang out with. And I was just getting all kind of riled up. And my oldest daughter calmly looked at me and said this. Dad, why are you being so judgmental? She just needs Jesus' love. And you were really rude to her Saturday night. And you're being harsh right now. That's not the way Jesus wants us to feel and act towards people. Oh, just a dagger in the heart. And of course, she was absolutely right. So, after we quickly cover what the passage has to say, we're going to have to spend a little time figuring out how to actually apply what we're hearing. Tonight, let's ask God what he wants us to get about the state of our thinking, our purity, and our love quotients with others. And then let's ask him to help us to press in and begin to change. My hope is that by the end, you'll be a little challenged. You'll also be encouraged and even more deeply connected to this loving father we've just spent the last half hour worshiping so that we'll no longer accept sloppy thinking, careless living, and superficial loving. My prayer is that we will leave today humbled by the way that a perfect and holy God could extend love and grace to people like us who seem to almost always fall so short of his ideal. Let's turn to the passage and make sure we understand what it's saying, and then we'll try to apply it before we leave. The passage is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the hope, on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he has been made manifest in the last days for the sake of you, 
who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from the heart. Since you were born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and it's glory. Like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. And this is the word. I'm sorry. This is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Lord, would your word just take root with this seed birth itself and change us. Give us the courage to look honestly and Lord, would you do something in our hearts that would cause us to leave here different in Jesus name. Amen. Well, the passage starts with the word therefore, and we're always told, of course, you should understand what it's there for. Up until this point, as Gerald's been unpacking the book of first Peter for us over the last couple of weeks, he's given us this concept that Peter's writing this letter to a bunch of Christians scattered throughout different regions of what is today known as Turkey. He called them exiles. And we talked about, Gerald talked about exiles last week that as an exile, what are you? You're displaced from your home country and you are in a transitory type of a place. And he said last week, we have three options that we can, we can pursue as exiles. One is you can just assimilate and fit into the culture that you're in. The second thing is you can just give up hope and despair and just feel like, oh, it's just so bad. It's so different. Or he said, we can begin to reimagine why is it that God has us here at this time? Remember, he talked about Daniel and his friends and the way that they so impacted the culture in Babylon where they were. And he talked about Esther and the way that, that she had such a difference in that famous verse from Esther. Who knows that it may not be for this purpose that God's given you the station that you have at this time. Right before the passage that we pick up today, um, Peter's explaining about this mystery, this, that, that even the prophets of the Old Testament that had the prophetic um, words about the, the coming Messiah, even they didn't really get what it was all about. And then he said, even angels have yearned, have longed to understand this. The revelation we all just take for granted was something that even angels didn't have a full understanding of. So in light of all of that reality, he says, it's time to think right, preparing your minds for action. I like the way the King James Version says it. This is the way I grew up in the King James. You know, gird up the loins of your mind for action. The picture you get is these guys in Greece with togas on, right? And they're about to have a, a little running race. And what do they need to do? They need to gird up their garments around their waist so that they're free to run. So preparing our minds. Being sober-minded, properly assessing the seriousness of the times that we're in. And then we're told to set our hope fully on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I wonder, how's, how's our thinking doing? Are we just being lulled to sleep with the movies that we watch and the video games that we play? Are we being lazy in our thinking? And how about... Our hope, what is our hope really set on? You know, there's a lot of competing things for our hope, aren't there? You know, for some of us as parents, 
We can talk to our children about the importance of their relationship with God, but sometimes we can make education the great hope, right? If you just get good grades, you'll get into a good school for a good job, and we almost communicate that the great hope is education. For some of us, it's job security. For others of us, it might be our retirement savings. I remember as I was growing up as a young adolescent, you know, it was during the Cold War, and we, our great hope was President Reagan and our military. And a lot of Christians, it seemed like that's really what they were putting their hope in. Some of us put our hope in relationships. When we begin to feel hopeless, where is it that we turn? A few verses later, we're encouraged, live with fear throughout the time of your exile. Do we have the proper recognition that someday we will be accounted, there will be an accounting for the way we've lived our lives? In the book that Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, I like how it's phrased in chapter 3. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your affection, set your mindset on Things above, not on things on the earth. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is, how's our thinking been? Is it, is it mostly right? Is it off base? Is our hope in God or is our hope in other things? But then we go to the second section and it's about how are we living? The verse says, as obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who calls you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. As it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I love that part about not conforming. Again, the apostle Paul, when he writes in the book of Romans chapter 12, he uses a similar type of a description. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The message translation says it this way. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. It sounds a little bit about like what Gerald was talking about, assimilating into culture as an exile. And God's saying, don't just assimilate and don't be different, but let God reorient you. The paraphrased version called the Phillips translation, I, I really love this way that it describes it. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Now, when we talk about this thing about being holy, I, I just think we need to kind of be honest. There's a pendulum upon which many Christians can fit under this holiness. Some of us like myself, may have grown up in a very religious, rules-oriented type of a faith. Some of you maybe even went to a school with some strict nuns that had a lot of kind of fire and brimstone bred into you. The way that I was raised, we couldn't even play the games of chance at the fair because it was gambling. And you would never go to movies. You would never do most of the things I think are fairly commonplace now. But as I grew up in that culture, here's what I observed. An awful lot of gossiping, a lot of judgmentalism, a lot of the harshness that my daughter was seeing in me as I spoke about other people. It was a, a brand of holiness, but something just smelled about it. Others of us, we may have grown up at Grace Community Church, and we're just so filled with God's love, we forget that there's also a holy God that we're going to have an accounting for at some point in time. It's easy to get 
somewhat sloppy in our thinking about what God really wants from us. In many respects, this has been the most challenging part of the preparation for me. How big of a deal is it really to God what I watch, the movies I put in my mind? How important is it really to God that my mind is pure, completely devoid of lust or greed or fear? The New Testament says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. Those who continue to practice sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. God judges impartially according to our deeds. And as our passage says, we're told, be holy, just as he who called you is holy. Well, this was the most encouraging part of the preparation for me because I started thinking about Jesus. As Jesus was holy, so should I be holy. Remember what he was like? It was actually the most religious people of the day that thought he didn't have holiness. You hang out with the wrong people. You're friends with the people you should be feeling superior to and separated from. And as I really thought about what was it that was so unique about Jesus' holiness, here's what was encouraging. Jesus said it this way. It's pretty simple. I just, I just do and say what I hear and see my father doing. I'm not that uptight about whether my disciples have properly washed all their hands according to the Jewish traditions. I'm concerned about people feeling love and acceptance. It was a holiness that was inviting. And I think that's what is to me the most life-giving in this. It's not that we get on the rules track and then we tend to judge other people and feel superior. It's a humility that says, help me God to learn to live in this unity with you. Having said that, I think there's a danger zone that we can fall into. Let me ask it this way. How at risk or how much danger would you say I might be in? I routinely text and I'm on my phone while I drive. I routinely speed and I hate wearing seatbelts. I go through many days and I fail to really discern what the Holy Spirit might want me to say to this person. And I rarely feel a lot of conviction about many of these things. Should that scare me? <laughs> Struck by lightning. <laughs> On maybe a more serious note, I've interacted with several professing believers in the last few weeks. Some who are actively engaging in a physical relationship they know God doesn't want. And they don't seem to be too bothered by it. Some have lived a double life in secret while continuing to go to Bible study in church and just not, not letting anyone into the double life. Think if we're honest, there's a lot of us who have appropriated the grace, the forgiveness of God, but we're fairly content with a pretty mediocre standard of holiness. What do we do about that when we see the question, how's my purity, how's my living? We're going to get to that at the end. Let's jump to the third section. The scripture says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, now it's time to step it up. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart.
already told you my interaction with this person at the party. I think that if I'm honest, it happens way, way more than it should. How do you change? How do you have a love that's, that's authentic? In 1 John, the Apostle John writes this, chapter 3. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In one of Paul's letters to the church at Thessalonia, Thessalonica, this is how he describes his relationship with them. He said, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become so dear to us. See, the goal is that something changes in our hearts that enables and empowers us to have connection and love and care. And yes, if we are fairly calloused to the needs of those around us, we should be somewhat concerned. As I was kind of processing and praying and thinking about how do we really, how do I change God? How does this become different? I was reminded of a story that Jesus told. He said there were a couple gentlemen that went to the temple to seek after God. One was a pretty righteous person, a Pharisee. When he got to temple, this is how his interaction with God went. Thanks, Lord, that I'm so awesome. I'm so grateful I'm not like this pagan in the riffraff spiritually. You know, I fast twice a week. I give generously. I tithe. I follow the rules. Thank you, Lord, for the way I can follow you. The other one, a tax collector, Jesus said, he, he couldn't even lift up his head. But God, have mercy on me. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This one left forgiven. For whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But whoever exalts, exalts himself will be humbled. Not very complicated, right? We're supposed to live, we're supposed to think right, live pure, and love well. Again, it, it's, it's, it's easy to talk about. It's hard to actually live it out. I was asking God, you know, what's the answer? This is the, the passage that just came to mind that I want to share with you. The last recorded letter that Jesus communicated to a church is actually in the book of Revelation. It's chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. And this is what Jesus said. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. 
would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and buy from me white garments to clothe yourself so that the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and buy from me salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What does Jesus say in this simple letter? First he says, look, I know, I know the state of your thinking, of your purity and of your love. And you're coming up short. See, while I might be fairly content to be mostly right in my thinking and good enough in my purity, that's not what God really is looking for, is it? He's looking for hotness, passionate. And he says, the danger is you're unaware. You're deluded. Your mindset is, hey, I'm, things are going pretty well. I got my job, I got my family, I got my church. It's a grave situation. You're, you're wretched, you're, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. But he says, come to me, buy from me. I want to give you the true riches. I don't want to just point the finger and just make you wallow in shame and grovel. I want you to experience a covering, a cleansing. I want you to see. He's saying, Bryce, I want you to see these people that you interact with. Not as despicable luscious who are drunk, but as poor things that need my love. And then he says, and more than that, I want to come in. If you open the door, if you repent and you open the door, I'll come in. One of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, I think just kind of brings this whole concept all together. His name is Asa. He was a king. One point in his life, he had kind of had some successes, he had some wealth. God allowed a foreign army to attack the kingdom of Israel. And at this point in Asa's life, he was not setting his hope fully on God, but he was setting his hope fully in his own thinking and his own money. And even worse than that, he goes into God's temple and takes some of the holy money and he goes and hires another country, another army to fight against the one attacking him, and it ends up working, and he's feeling fairly content. Only God, remember what it says in Revelation, those whom I love, I reprove, I rebuke, I discipline. Well, God sends the disciplinarian, the prophet to come, and the prophet confronts him, and he says, 
You're a fool. He says, don't you remember? The eyes of the Lord. They run to and fro throughout the earth, looking to strongly support those whose hearts are loyal to him, whose hearts are completely his. Then he gives them the discipline that's gonna come. Some of you, at least who are sitting close enough to see, might have wondered, what are all those little flashlights doing across the floor? You know, in the Old Testament, after the, the flood, God said he gave the rainbow as a symbol, as a reminder, a sign that never again would God destroy the world with a flood. But whenever it's getting dusk and there's some clouds in the sky, there's often these rays that come through the clouds. And I just always picture that as flashlights. That is my reminder of this verse. God's looking. He's looking for someone who will soften their heart and will, and will confess. And it's not that we have to be perfect, right? The one that left rightly connected with God from the temple was the one that just said, have mercy on me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. So if any of you, if that resonates with you, you can take one of these cheap little keychain flashlights when I'm done as a reminder. God's looking for you. It's going to be worth it for us to up the game in our thinking. As we were in pre-service prayer today, something came to my mind that I hadn't thought of before and didn't share last night. I just feel like I'm supposed to, to, to throw this piece in. What is in the scripture? What was the What was the reason we were supposed to love earnestly from the heart? He said, because you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living and the abiding word of God. Parable of the sower and the seeds is what came to mind. Someone goes out and throws the seeds. It's the word, it's the teaching. We all have the same opportunity with the seed but we need to have fertile land that receives it, that lets it grow and nourish. The hardened path, the birds just took it. The rocky soil, there was a little life, but there was no nourishment. Each of the areas we've looked at, obviously in our thinking, we need to renew our minds with God's word, with God's truth. How is it that we can be not conformed to the world, but be transformed? We were told, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. And our ability to love, it doesn't come from our own willpower. It comes from a heart that's been wrecked by the love of God. I think it's fitting that we have communion today. You know, when we read in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about the church's practice of communion. One of the things he says is you should examine yourself before you eat the bread and drink the wine. In that church, he said, there were many people who had gotten sick, some had even died because they had been living their life with sloppy thinking, careless living, and superficial loving, and they were not taking seriously the, the gift of God. So 
the ushers can come. We'll partake in communion. John's going to play at the end. We'll have a song. And, and then I'm going to share some of the words that people got that what we believe God wants to do in some people's hearts today before we're through. So we'll take the elements together once everyone's been served.
shortly before Jesus left the dinner to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, he broke some bread and he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins during the uh, pre-service prayer there was a sense that there was darkness over some people coming Another person said, I saw the, the, heard the words, open the curtain and let the light in. Another had a sense of some family separation, maybe a, a yearning of some parents that their children who were wayward might come back. Another, just a sense that God wants to bring healing for brokenness. If any of those resonate with you, I'd like to encourage you just to come up and have someone pray over you. If there's anything else that's stirring in your heart, we have people that are here who are wanting to, to engage before God's throne on your behalf, that you might leave here with a sense of God touching you. Again, for any of you for whom the flashlight analogy might be meaningful, feel free to come up and grab a flashlight. Let's prepare our minds. Immerse ourselves in God word. Let's identify the lies that we believe, the false idols that we put our hope in. And let's begin to live distinct from our culture. Let's not just go along with the flow, but be transformed. Remember, it's an attractive kind of holiness. It's one that, that looks to the heart of people, not just a bunch of rules and superiority. And then let's increasingly ask God to wreck us with his love. Why don't you stand as we sing Reckless Love together?
free to come forward for prayer. Feel free to continue to receive. Feel free to go if you have to go. We're just going to continue to play and worship here for a couple more minutes.